leading us tonight and in being faithful to that ministry. Uh, we want to, uh, tonight, uh, in this service, uh, go to the book of Luke chapter 14 tonight. The book of Luke uh, chapter 14 tonight. Uh, we want to read a familiar portion uh, of scripture. And uh, as we begin to turn then, as we look at this passage, there's something about value that we need to be cautious in identifying tonight. Oftentimes in life, the failure to place the right value or to have a fair valuation done can result in unfinished business. Recently, uh, as most of you know, we sold our Toyota Innova and uh, we sold it off to a company that would buy it and put it up for auction. By standard, what they would do is we would take the car into their store and after we've taken it in, they would begin to evaluate it. And I began to ask the gentleman who was dealing with me, I said, can I see the report of the valuation? And he went on and said, sir, we don't give those reports out to our customers. We cannot show them to you. We will upload it. We will put it up for bidding. And there will be various different dealers across Malaysia that will bid for it. And the highest bid would basically get the vehicle. And so long story short, because I know of someone who is a second-hand dealer, I contacted him and I said, listen, they are putting the car up at this time, this time. I want you to extract the report and send me the report of what they've listed the car as. And to my surprise, the report was filled with a lot of false information. It was information that there was sound coming from various parts of the car where there was clearly no sound coming from those parts of the car. They said that there was a crack on the headlamp. There was no crack on the headlamp. They said the gearbox was faulty. There's no fault in the gearbox. So on and so forth. But the reason I shared that with you was because at that point of time, my great fear was, am I getting a fair valuation for this car? If I agreed to sell it, would it be fair what the end user or the dealer is paying me? And I begin to realize that oftentimes when we fail to do a fair valuation on whatever it may be, it can be a car, it can be a house, it can be the calling and the kingdom of God, we can find ourselves in a place where we end up with un finished business. What really matters truly in our walk with God is how well you finish. How well you finish. See, the truth is, so many of us can start off great, but how do we finish is the question we're going to have to answer tonight. And the reason why we have unfinished business 
sometimes is because we have done a false valuation on the things of God. There are many in our generation who have started off walking with God so well, but regretfully will never finish well. I have seen people in this church get on fire for God, come for prayer in the mornings, pray and call out the name of Jesus, but today, they're no longer there. It's one thing to start. How are you going to finish? I've seen people come to church every service faithfully desirous to be in the house of God and today not even a mention of the word of God comes out of their mouth. So it's not how well you start that matters. It's how well you finish that really matters. Luke chapter 14, verses 28 through 30. Let's, let's go there in the Word of God and let's begin to dissect what the Scripture is speaking to us here. Luke 14, 28 to 30. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first, count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. The reality lies in this passage tonight, where a careful con consideration of what it is going to cost what is this cost going to be? What is, the what is the value and what is the valuation of the cost involved in building the tower? And when it isn't taken into account, we see the end result lies in unfinished business. When the value isn't correctly calculated, when we don't take into full account what it means to serve God, when we don't take into full account what it means to be faithful, when we don't take into account what it means to be in relationship with God, it eventually leads us to a place of abandonment and neglect. Jesus begins to emphasize the need for a person. He says this in our text. He says, which of you intending to build does not sit down first and count the cost? You see, beloved, that is as simple as that theory may be, many Christians do not take effort to count the cost. Matthew 16, 24 through 26, Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul or what will a man give in exchange for his soul so the call of god the destiny of god the purpose of god the will of god the kingdom of god beloved will cost us something 
We live in a feel-good generation that often eliminates cost-counting. They simply want to follow the crowd as believers running the race. We must have our eyes on the finish line. Can I say to you this evening, don't start what you don't aim to finish. Amen. How many of you like half past six, halfway done work? Don't aim to start what you don't intend to finish. This is why Jesus doesn't give us this feel-good message just to prep us, just to drive us to a place where we say, oh yeah, yeah, I'm going all in for God. And then halfway, we throw in the towel and say, oh, it's too much. That's why Jesus said, count the cost. Because I think Jesus was dealing with a spirit here. He is dealing with a spirit simply to say, don't start what you don't aim to finish. This is the challenge that Jesus constantly presented to his disciples. This isn't a test of, to, you know, to see uh, uh, you know, if this is going to work. Let me, let me try going to church two days. Or let me try to tithe once a month. Or let me try to give one time. Or let me try to, you know, God says, no, 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 no. Listen, it, it's not a test and see. We know the Bible says that tithing is us testing God. And a lot of people never see God's blessing because they never step out in faith to do the right thing. You can receive your increase and keep it in your account and then decide to tithe the week after. That's your trust in God. And that's not obedience. He gets first. The moment it gets in, it gets to Him. See, we don't like hearing things like that. But the Bible says, count the cost. Jesus is not apologetic about the cause. You and I must come to a place, beloved, of conclusion. We must come to that very virtue of understanding. Jesus is saying in this passage, sit down first and count the cause. You and I have a, a, a responsibility tonight to, 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 to simply come to that agreement and that understanding that Jesus is the only way, the truth and the life, and there is no one else besides Him. It is a making up of the mind. The counting of the cost is a making up of the mind. It is the decision that there is nothing else that is worthy of my attention except Jesus. Now, unless this happens to the heart, unless this takes place where we count the cost and say, no, 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 this is who I will worship. This is what it's going to cost me and I am willing to pay the price to keep my relationship with the way, the truth and the life. I am willing to pay the price for that and when it comes to that place, beloved, that's where progress begins to happen. There will be no progress on the tower unless the Christian life is taken into account. 
all it will display is that it will become, the Christian life will become a dead display for those who are not willing to count the cost. I'll be honest with you. There's a high price to follow Jesus. Jesus didn't make it sound easy. Jesus didn't pretend to say, oh, yeah, yeah, take up your cross daily and follow me. It's not that expensive. Let me explain to you guys what it really means. No, he didn't do that. He said those words and that was the price he put in place. Count the cost. Which leads us then to the second point. Why do we see the Christian life with little to no progress? See, the failure to count the cost leads a person to a place that lacks appreciation. Let me address this tonight. Genesis 25, 32 to 33, the Bible says, Esau said, look, I am about to die. So what is this birthright to me? Then Jacob said, swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. So here we find a man, Esau, the man who sold his birthright. Now, what would be the conclusion of this man's life? A man who sold his birthright. But you would ask the question, why? Why would a man give away something that's of incredible value? This was his birthright. It was his destiny. It was his inheritance. It was worth a life. Why would a man give this up? And I think it comes to the part of not counting the cause, not realizing how valuable this is, which leads to the lack of appreciation. You know why you give your life to things that are not valuable? Because you fail to measure the cause between the things of God and the things of the world. When you put them side by side, you realize, wow, this makes more sense than that. And we'll talk about that in a moment, but think about the process of building the tower. Because here's a man, he failed to count the cost. Now, we're not just talking about counting the cost to follow Jesus, but we're also counting, a we're also addressing a spirit behind the, the failure to count the cost. And because he failed to place the right value on the tower, because he failed to place the right value, he underpriced it, which eventually led him to merely ditching the building process at the foundation. Because he failed to rightly value it, it had little to know, he had little to no understanding of what the tower would cause. You know what he did? He casually walked away from it. Didn't count the cost. So it was easy for a man like that to ditch something that is so valuable. See, counting the cost isn't only in the aspect of following Jesus. But counting the cost is also necessary so that you will say, no, 
I can't give this up because this is of great value. You know, it's easy to give something that don't belong to you. You, you realize that? Oh, yeah, yeah, this, this one, yeah, my, my mother and father bought for me. So, take la, use la, use la. But if you paid for it, <laughs> you'll probably not say that. If someone gave you something, you'd probably, you know, take it for granted because you didn't have to pay for it. And so you take it, there was no cost counting involved. And so you treat it so lightly. You see people abusing things. You see people abusing whatever they've been given and entrusted with. And you wonder, why do they treat it like that? Because they don't know the value of it. They did not have to work for it. And this is true with this man. Why was he behaving in such a way? Why was he behaving like that? Because the truth be told, beloved, in all essence, he didn't count the cost. So it's easy to just say, just walk away. That's what people do with their Christian life. That's what people do with church because they take it for granted. It's here. Pastor's going to show up and preach, so they take it for granted. They don't realize the value. Are you with me tonight? They don't realize how much it cost. You know, 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verses 1, the Bible says, Now Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to his father, David at the place that David had prepared on the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. Then if you go to 2 Chronicles chapter 5, verses 1, this is 2 Chronicles 3, 1, jump over two chapters, and you see, so all the work that Solomon had done for the house of the Lord was finished. And Solomon brought in the things which his father David had dedicated, the silver and the gold and all the furnishings, and he put them in the treasuries of the house of God. So here's a man, Solomon, whose father David prepared all of these tools and instruments that were necessary for the building of God's temple. And in the process of that, he passed away, he died. The Bible tells us David wasn't able to build it. But he prepared all of this for his son Solomon to build. And the scripture tells us powerfully that Solomon, despite the fact he did not have to prepare any of these things, they were there, they were easily given to him. The Bible tells us that Solomon took all of those instruments his father prepared, built the temple and finished it. This, now, this tells me he was a man that counted the cost. Jesus was making reference. The price to follow him. And in contrast to what Jesus has done, if you look in verses 33 of Luke 14, I didn't give you that scripture uh, 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 Jeremy, I, I, no, I wrote it down. I, I didn't put that down. But anyway, Luke 14, 33, the Bible, so likewise, who, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Forsake all. 
What was Jesus talking about? This was a clear depiction that the value of following Him is incalculable. So we're not just talking about the initial cost, but rather the cost should drive you from dropping it all, giving up on Jesus and walking away. That when you reflect back to what Jesus has done, that when you refer back to the price He paid, that when you look back at what Jesus had sacrificed for you, you should say to yourself, I can't give this up. I can't throw my destiny away. I can't throw my calling away. Yes, indeed, I came into the kingdom, I walked into the, I got saved, I counted the cost, and there are many things that came up without my consideration of the cost, but I'm at a place right now, when I reflect back to what Jesus did, it's not worth I walk away from this tower, I need to finish what I started. Are you with me? you got to come to that. But it interests me, when I saw this man, he walked away from the tower. You see, in other words, when Christians understand the value of what Jesus has truly done, when you understand that there is no other way to heaven except through Him. Now, we live for this world. That's the problem of our generation today. We want to build a paradise here and we forget that that eternity is our real home, not here. Yes, we need money to survive. Yes, we need good jobs. Yes, we need a future. Yes, we need to give our children education. Yes, we need all of that. But beloved, don't forget, this life is not all. We're living for a, for a kingdom to come. In other words, tomorrow we can all die. Jesus can come. And whatever we have in our bank account, whatever we have accumulated in this life becomes nothing. Nothing. So I ask you tonight the question, what are you living for? You see, when you, re when you understand that Jesus died so you can go to heaven, when you understand that He died so you can be forgiven, when you understand that He died so you can have mercy and grace, when you understand that your life is blessed because of what Jesus has done, then you will think twice about saying, I give up and walk away from God. Are you with me? Because the counting of costs is not only the initial cost that we're referring to, but when you've started the journey of walking with Jesus, then will they only, this is where we come to a place where we appreciate the building of God's kingdom ditching the building, ditching the tower will not become an easy thing to do because we understand the value of the cross. The reason it becomes so easy to treat the kingdom of God so lightly is because we begin to, we've come to a place where we did not take serious consideration of the irreplaceable price that Jesus paid for me. When you compare what Jesus has done for you, can you tell me if there's someone else who has done the same for you? Has your boss done that for you? Has your partners, 
done that for you? Has, has, has your wife or your husband or your child or your mother or your father done that? You cannot, you, you can't compare what you, and yet people give so much more to the world than Jesus. Think with me. Think with me. He's saying, count the cost. Do you realize what I did for you, Jesus would say? Have you considered the price I paid for you? For you to just ditch it? For you to just treat me lightly? Count the cost. Which brings me to another thought. I, I wrote this sermon three weeks ago, just so you know. <laughs> I was sitting in my office. I think they were having youth. They may have been having youth on that day. My wife was in the room, and, and, and I just started writing. And, you know, somehow it just flowed, and I felt that this was something God was dealing with me. I kept it for tonight, for whatever reason. But I want you tonight to think with me. This man never wanted to work to have enough to finish it. Think with me. Think with me. I mean, here's a guy. He's probably a young dude. And the Bible says he looked at the tower and he said to himself, not enough lah. Tapaya lah. Drop the whole thing and walk away. I mean, where, 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 where in the world, where in the world, within his soul, deep down inside, where, 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 where was that spirit of saying, hey, I don't have enough, but I'm going to make it happen until I finish this. Now, that's perseverance. That's the spirit of saying, I don't have enough, but I am going to do what it takes to finish it. And here's a man, he wanted to build a tower. He wanted this humongous tower. Can I be straight with you tonight without paying a price? He wanted this ministry, maybe. He wanted this kingdom of God's title, maybe. He wanted all of that without paying a price. When he realized that he did not have enough, when he realized I had counted short, when he realized this isn't going to be enough for me to finish the tower, I don't know about you, beloved, but I think we should take it as a challenge and say, you know what, I am going to do what it takes to finish it that we are going to challenge ourselves. One of the greatest battles we fight as pastors, and I've heard Pastor Mitchell repeatedly say this, you see churches are filled with numerous people and from all kinds of background, different levels of intellectualism, different levels of smart thinking and you know, all of that, whatever it is. But the point is, one of the greatest things we fight with is a spirit of inadequacy. We always feel we're not good enough. We always battle this thought that I don't have enough to build God's church. I have spoken to my wife countless times, telling her, I don't think I have what it takes to go on. I don't think I have everything that's in me. You know, the, 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 you know, I don't see this, I don't see that. And it feels inadequate. But beloved, we must come to a place that Jesus died. And even in our inadequacy, we must learn to say, God, I don't have what it takes, but I want you to equip me. 
the reason people never appreciate God and His work. Can I be honest with you tonight? Why, why am I preaching this? Because I realize that we live in a very entitled-minded generation. It's given so easily to us today. It is given to us so lightly and because we never had to pay for it, we never had to you know, go through um, a certain type of difficulties to come to church. We can get into a car, turn on the aircon, get to, we can walk five, ten minutes and get to church. We can get into a grab, get to church. We can get into a bus, get to church. You know, there are places where you have to walk for hours and hours just to get to church. We were in Indonesia. You know, they had to, walk, they had to get on a bus. There's a young disciple launch, launched out just this past year. And this guy, his name is Jaka. He comes three hours wherever he lives just to be in church. Now, most people will say, I'll go to a church nearer to my house. No, but you know what he understood? He understood, God, you put me here for a purpose. That's a revelation. It is counting the cost. You know, I, I, I was also reminded of recently, as you read the Bible, and, and I'll preach a sermon on it probably, but the Bible says that the body of Christ consists of a hand, the mouth, the ears, the nose, the, right? It says the body of Christ is like that. And what's wrong with people today wanting to find a church that suits what they look, they're looking for. Oh, in this church, there's a group of people like me. But the Bible says, the body of Christ, we, it's all different. There's nothing, you, you probably, you'll probably find that the reason you may not find someone like you in this church is because God expects you to do something in this church so others will begin to follow you. This is a thinking that we have developed today. Oh, they have a youth group there and everybody dresses like me or talks like me uh, and, and they want to go there. Or, or you know, there's a, there's a singles club or an or a old man's club and you know, men and all, and they want to go to a place where everybody can, it's like them. But what does the body of Christ mean? The body of Christ means we're all different, playing our part. To advance the kingdom of God. But the, but the human mind chases after the lookalikes and the soundalikes. When the Bible says you are the body, it may all be different, but we are all called to do something for God. Achieve something for God. We may not be the like. We may not look alike. We may not, you know, feel the same. Or, or, you know, we may all be different, but that's the body of Christ. That's the uniqueness of God. Join the body together to accomplish His vision. See, this births in the human heart a spirit of entitlement, right? Easy come, easy go. When a person doesn't have to work or pay for something, there's a lack of appreciation. See, this is what makes giving so powerful. That when you start catching a revelation and you start giving to the kingdom of God, you begin to value what you give to. 
that this church becomes important, this church becomes necessary to your soul because you invest into it and you give into the kingdom and you take interest to see it succeed. When a believer has to pay a price to be in church and make sacrifices, they come to a place where they say, I'm not going to give this up because it costed me so much to get this close to God. They want to walk away. The ones who throw in the towel are the ones that don't understand how much it costed to live for God. Joseph was a steward, right? In Genesis, the Bible says Joseph was made a steward of his master's goods. And he valued correctly what was entrusted unto him. He didn't treat it uh, with, with, with lax or lackadaisically. Rather, he was made a steward over all that belonged to the master. And what blessed Joseph? The Bible says, and the Lord was with Joseph. If you read the passage, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. And the Bible says that the Lord prospered Joseph. But what was it that caused God to prosper him? He understood that what he had didn't belong to him. This is why giving becomes a joy. Because when I give, I'm not giving what belongs to me. I'm giving what belongs to him. Amen. He made me a steward. And every time I've given, God honors it back. God does something that goes beyond value or money. Whether it's protection in my family, my children, my life, my wife. You know, in all ways, God does things that goes beyond comprehension. Because there's a revelation, what I have is not mine. That if I can be sensitive to God and God can tell me, this is what I want you to give, I understand I'm only a steward. And that's why sometimes people never have more than enough. Because in order to become a steward, you must learn to be sensitive to God. Jonah preached to the Ninevites. When they repented, he became so upset. He got angry with God. And this tells me that somehow this was the spirit. He lost sight that God was the one who created these people and it was God's desire that the cost involved was for them to be forgiven of their sin. And when God forgave them of their sin, Jonah got angry with God. What's up with this guy? Entitlement. He felt that he deserved more than those people. Forgot. Forgot the cost. Forgot that this indeed was the price that was paid. Naaman, in 2 Kings chapter 5, he ran to Elisha for healing. And because he thought that he was a man under authority, he was a commander. He ran to Elisha. And the Bible says that he was expecting Elisha to somehow just say, Naaman, go back, you're completely healed. But that's not what Elisha said. Elisha told him, you know what, you need to go and dip yourself in the Jordan 7. He was upset. He was hoping that somehow Elisha was just going to give him a VIP treatment. 
And this, I think, is what we need to address and establish here. Because here's a man who built the tower. He gave up. He gave up. Because somewhere, he didn't understand how much it costed. Let me close with this thought. Your response to God's kingdom will either draw people nearer to God or push them away from God. How do you speak about the church? How do you speak about the kingdom of God? Do you complain to people, oh, so many services, love? Do you murmur under your breath about coming to church? Do you feel like, ah, I don't need to come? Because your value towards the kingdom will determine whether you draw people nearer to God or you push them away from God. Let's close very quickly. You see, our scripture narrates here in Luke 14 that the incomplete tower, the Bible says, that saying this man began to build and was not able to finish. Verses 29, all who see it begin to mock him. Our scripture tells us that the incomplete tower drew mockery and criticism. It sent a message to the people. Not only did they criticize him, but also the work they were, he was involved with. And when people see the way we treat, the way we value the things of God, it either puts them off or draws them nearer to God. And the greatest truth is this, beloved. This is what we see today, that somehow we see people who are not Christians, look at us, and then they begin to say, what is this with you? You go to church so many times. And they look at our life and there's no blessing in our lives. And that's why they mock it. That's why they criticize it. Because there's no testimony that we seem to carry. We talk like the world, we act like the world, we dress like the world, we behave like the world, we cuss like the world. And then we, they look at us and say, what's so different about you than the Buddhist guy? And they mock it. Because somehow, we have decided that we don't have to. So our legs, one leg in the world and one leg in the kingdom. When it's convenient for me to serve God, I will serve Him. When I have time to do something for God, I will do it. When I am able to give myself to the, I will do something for God. And the Bible says people criticize the man who failed to build that tower. The greatest and most valuable thing you will ever do in life is what you do for the kingdom of God. The greatest and the most valuable thing you will do in life is what you do for the kingdom of God. Whether it's giving to the kingdom, whether it's serving in certain capacity, whether it's living for God, a life that revolves around God's kingdom is a life that will have the least amount of regrets. John 6.35, let me tell you, beloved, this is, this is profound in Scripture. The Bible says, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. A life lived for God 
is the only life that brings true fulfillment. This is why the Bible says count the cost. I won't lie to you. I won't tell you that living for God is cheap. I've seen people lose interest in the things of God. I've seen people come to church at one time and they are so desirous for the Word of God, they're so desirous to be in the house of God, they lose interest. No longer desire the things of God. Give it all up. Why? Because something else takes their attention. Some girlfriend, some boyfriend. Some other agenda in life. Their job. Oh, I've seen people's job take them away from God. So many times. So many times. And then they forget. My gosh. You know, the argument they always give you is, Jesus lives in me. And the truth be told, beloved, if you counted the cost, there's no way you can live the way you live without giving your best to Jesus. Can I say that again? If you truly have successfully counted the cost, there's no way you can continue to live without giving your best to Jesus. So when a man or a woman doesn't give God their best, it simply means they've either lost the cost, value, they've lost sight of it, or they've never taken into account. Your forgiveness, mercy, grace, clarity of mind, a right mind is all a gift of God. And if you take that in comparison to what you're doing for God, have you been fair with God? Because when you really count the cost, then and only then, you realize I have to give more to God. And I challenge you because it's easy to start well. But I've seen it so many times. People never finish well. So where will you go where will you be? Have you counted the cost? Is it true that you're giving God your very best? Or you're giving someone else your attention, your time, your energy instead of God? And I'm challenging you tonight. You see, the, 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 the powerful reality of all this is that we can come to Jesus tonight and say, God, I have been wrong. I've not been counting the cost correctly. I've not been valuing it right. I've cheated on the report. You've done so much for me and I've done so little for you. I want you to bow your heads with me. Tonight as we close off in prayer, I ask you the important and most vital question in this entire sermon and that is,
in comparison to the price Jesus has paid. The cost, that when you truly count the cost, it only forces you to give your very best to God. And I challenge you tonight in this place. I know we are kicking into a period where we will not see each other in service for a while. We may not be able to catch up for some of us. But in this time and in this period and in this season, I think the question we must ask ourselves every day is have I been truly giving my best to Jesus? See, that changes your giving. That changes you from just giving loose change every time to, to really challenging yourself to say, no, after all Jesus has done, I'm coming and 